Have you ever asked yourself why? Why do I exist? Why is Jesus the only way? Have you ever wondered why you should have community? Why you should be in a small group? Why do I give? Why would I be generous? Why should I serve? And why would I share my faith? Have you ever asked yourself, why should I love my neighbor? That's a hard one. And why would I live a missional life? Why do bad things happen to good people? We all have so many questions. Let's take the time to dive into what scripture has to say. Man, so good to see y'all here today, and uh, it was a blessing to be away last weekend. was able to take my beautiful bride down to the beach for a week to celebrate her 60th birthday. Give it up for Barb, right? Just a beautiful time, and uh, I called uh, Benji last Sunday morning uh, right after the, the service was over with and said, hey, son, we... Thoroughly in Georgia, you look good in your Hawaiian shirt and all this stuff. But anyway, he's like, I got to tell you a story. So there's a couple guys that attend our first service named Kenny Flowers and Alan Opdyke. And as, a, as Benji made the statement that he and Grace would be moving in a year down to Jacksonville to church plant, Kenny Flowers came up to him that, at the end of the service and said, hey, hey, we want to make a trade. We want to send your dad to the beach and keep you here. <laughs> Can you believe he said that? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to go to the beach and live all the time. Benji does. No. And that was so funny when you, when you said that. And so I messed with Kenny and Alan. I was like, y'all really said that? And they're like, we really said it. We like him more than we like you. So uh, we're so glad to have you here. Uh, as Candace said on the, the video there, the bumper, if you're visiting and uh, would like to get connected with us, jump on our website, thecrossloganville.org, and you'll find a guest card, connect card there. If you'll fill it out, you'll see all of our previous sermons there as well. Uh, you'll see a lot of different options on the startup page. Take advantage of that if you will. We're in our series that we've titled Why, and last week Benji talked about why we live a missional life and why we share our faith and why we serve. Today I want to step into a, a heavy conversation with you, and I want to talk about why does God allow suffering? That is a, a, a problem that all of us try to uh, navigate through at times with suffering, pain, tragedy, different things that happen. So let's open up our hearts and ask the Lord to minister to us right now. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we do. We lift up the name of Jesus. We bless your holy name. The name that's above all names, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we bless your name and we ask you, through the working of the Holy Spirit, that you would have total freedom in this space right now, that you would penetrate and transform every life in this room, those watching online. Father, we ask you to just pour out your spirit and do an amazing thing for your glory. And so, Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Suffering is the universal language. It doesn't matter what person you talk to. 
They've gone through tragedy. They've gone through pain. They've gone through some type of deep heartache in their life. It's spoken by every person on every part of the globe. It's spoken. Pain, trauma, heartache, suffering. You've experienced it. And as you look at your neighbor, they've experienced it as well. Reality is our bodies eventually wear out. Some expire at a younger age. Some people get a lot longer time on the planet. But reality is this flesh earth suit that we live in has an expiration date to it. And everyone, everyone, everyone will encounter times of hurt, times of heartache, times of adversity, and times of affliction. There's not a person on the planet that can escape it. We live in a fallen world, and sin disrupted humanity at every level. And as a result of the widespread uh, consequences of sin, suffering is a common thread in every narrative in this room. The psalmist David said in Psalm 119.71, Lord, it is good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your ways. For most of us, we would not land at a position where we would say, it is good to suffer. It is good to experience pain, heartache, affliction in our life. But the psalmist says, no, it, it is really good. Why is it good? Because we learn to trust God in the midst of our pain. We learn to release the reins of control when we're going through it. We learn to start to step into these unforced rhythms of his grace. We start to experience God in ways that we never have. Hannah and I were talking just a few weeks ago, and I was going through Psalm 42 with her. Oh, why is so, your soul so downcast? Why don't you put your hope and trust in God? And as Hannah and I began to, to talk through this, there's a part in there where the psalmist declares that there is a, a depth of knowing God that you only experience in the midst of pain. And I said, Hannah, because of your struggle and adversity and affliction, baby girl, God is going to disclose to you depths of who he is that a lot of people will never even understand. When we go through it, oftentimes we, we, we try to run from it. We try to escape pain, but it's a problem that none of us can escape and none of us can solve. It's interesting in our culture that you'll see places with a sign out front that says pain management clinic, but we've never driven by one that said pain elimination clinic because you can't eliminate it. Suffering transcends all people and all people groups. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your geographical address is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. People suffer, right? We get the news that your baby is going to be born with a birth defect. We, we, we walk through that with people. You get the news that it's stage four terminal cancer. It's not looking good. We're working through that right now even with another friend. We get the news that a man has left his wife and his children for another woman. It's painful. 
And we get the news oftentimes, and you'll hear Sandy speaking to this, that your child has decided to experiment with drugs, and they've overdosed. We get these messages all the time. There's people in your family, there's people in your neighborhood, there's people in your workplace right now that are suffering through some of these narratives. And suffering seems so random and meaningless and unexpected and undeserved as we go through it. And if you're like me, oftentimes when you start to get hit with pain and these trials and troubles in your life, you'll stop and go, what, what, what did I do to deserve this? I remember asking that question years ago when I was infant in my faith. Well, what did I do? If God loves me, why would he allow me to go through this? If God really loves me, why don't he rescue me from this? You'll hear Jeff speaking to this area this morning as he shares his story. Does God really know? Does God really care? Is God really powerful enough to do anything about where I'm at today? You ever felt that way? When you read the book of Job, he suffered in mind-blowing ways, leaving a trail of confusion behind. God tells Job that, hey, you know Satan was behind what you're going through. Satan came and wanted to, to pick you apart, and I gave him permission. Job tells others that, no, it was God that was all behind this. And then Job's friends show up, and after chilling with him for a week, began to speak, which they shouldn't have. And they said, Job, no, you're, you're, you're the problem. It's amazing to me that finger-pointing is so impulsive when we go through suffering and trials and tragedy. We want to blame somebody. We want to blame something. And what we're really struggling with in the midst of adversity and affliction and suffering is why? Why, why is this happening? Even people in church over the years, you'll hear them try to explain away suffering. They'll make statements like, well, brother, God is sovereign. And they leave it there. Or they make statements like uh, Romans 8, 28, brother, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. And what they're really saying is, I don't, I don't know what to do with it, and I don't want to step into it, and I don't want to walk with you, so I'm trying to give you a fix. And then you'll get with some people, and they'll say, well, the reason you're going through this is you need more faith. So it's now your issue. Or they'll say, no, 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 the reason you're going through it is you've got sin in your life, and you better get with God and do some introspection. And I've sat there and pondered this over the years. Like, why do we try to dismiss suffering? Why do we try to explain it away as if we even know why? And if we contemplate Scripture, we realize that God created the heavens and the earth, and God made man, and God made man in his image. And God gave that man that he made in his image freedom. And man hijacked and abused the freedom that God had given him. And as a result of man sinning, all this disruption happens and suffering enters into the equation. We want a God that permits us to do whatever in the hell we want to do with no consequences to our vile choices. What can we learn from suffering? What, 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 what can we learn in Scripture that maybe speaks about suffering? 
Let me give you a few. People suffer oftentimes because of self-inflicted wounds. We read that in Scripture. We can be our own worst enemies, can we not? We make choices. We make decisions at times that can be self-destructive. Back to Genesis 3, when you look at Adam and Eve, they were living in a perfect world with a perfect holy God, and they chose not to trust that God and do their own thing, and then bam, they start having kids, and Cain kills Abel, and what, 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 what? Y'all are making some self-destructive choices here. And there's a lot of people in this room that have made choices out of anger, out of alcoholism, out of certain things. And you look at your life and you're like, man, I I did it. I think a lot of times when it comes to suffering from self-inflicted wounds, it's a little easier for us to maybe navigate through it because we eventually get to the place where we move out of denial and say, I, I, I did it. A lot of times we suffer because of the sins of other people. God would never cause or initiate some of the things that we experience, that we see. Some of the things that we witness and see is a total contradiction to the nature of God. It's like we suffer because of the sins of others. When you start to really study scripture, and you go, man, I'm, I'm, I've been pondering this dude, David, again. He was called a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he was called a man after God's own heart later. But 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, in the time of the year when kings go out to battle, David stayed at home and he started checking out this chick Bathsheba and he has sexual relations with her and trying to cover his tail. He... he, he Sends word to Joab to say, send Uriah back. He tries to get Uriah drunk or that Uriah would maybe go over and have relations with Bathsheba to cover his own tail. He doesn't do it. Uriah says, I'm not going to do anything like that when my brothers are out fighting a war. And then David sends this note with Uriah to hand to Joab. And it's basically his own personal death sentence saying, kill him. And when you read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 17, it says that there were many other men that died as a result of David just wanting to take Uriah out. You would look at that and go, that, 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 that's not God's nature to kill those other people like that. But it was all a part of suffering from the choices of another individual. As a nation, we scratched our head on 9-11 going what's up with this and you would never look at 9-11 and go God calls that God initiated it God drove it we oftentimes suffer in a fallen world because of the sinful choices other people make people get sick and die as a result of living in a fallen world and they suffer and families suffer Every family, every person, every community is touched by this. And when we see a person get sick and we see a person die, that, that, that's not an indication of divine hatred from God. The soul that sins is going to die and we don't know how many breaths that we get. And even Jesus shows up with Lazarus who, he loved Lazarus and he loved Mary and Martha. And the scripture says Jesus wept. What's going on? We suffer. I mean, I keep right here in my Bible, the obituary that we printed out from my buddy Benji Parr. I'm like, he didn't die because there's divine hatred from God. We live in a fallen world. 
People suffer because of natural disasters. You look at Katrina, Ian, Andrew, the mudslides happening in Cali right now. It's like, what's going on? And as a result of living in a fallen world, there was a shift with our planet, and we see all these natural disasters, and oftentimes we see people die. People get hurt bad. We also suffer because we have an enemy that absolutely hates us. We have an enemy that wants to take us out. We have an enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy that wants to take you out every day. He wants to take you down. He wants to destroy your life. Here's the reality. Suffering confuses us. And suffering leaves us with more questions than answers. But deep down inside, suffering invites us to be authentically human with other people that we love. Listen to Sandy share the struggle, but yet the hope that she's found. And then listen to Jeff lean in to the hope that he's found, even in the midst of deep pain. So behind me, you see my babies. Um, Man, have they caused a lot of suffering in my life. I love them. I didn't know how what I'm about to tell you about could ever happen. Why would it happen? But I know as I reflected on that statement and I started preparing for this, that's how God looks at us. He goes, why do they cause me to suffer? Why do they make these bad decisions? I love them so much. Why? So seven years ago, Dallas and I stood on the stage and told a part of our story. Um, A lot of sufferings happened since that time. Recently, a replay of that video came out, and uh, Tim reminded me not to focus on the fact that my hair was beautiful and black at that time, and now not so much. Um, But today, I am grateful that my friend and pastor and his wife thought of me to bring this message. Uh, I'm just hopeful that next year, when the theme of suffering comes up, that I'm not top on the list at that time. So um, I want to start back really 40 years ago, because that's really where this story begins. I was a young graduate nurse. Uh, I'd been saved at eight, but in my early 20s, I was certainly not living in his will. I was living in mine. I was, uh, I was wrapped up in kind of the world. I married right out of college to the wrong man and for the wrong reasons. From a career standpoint, my life was great, but my personal life was a mess. My marriage ended after nine years, but I had a beautiful baby girl, Megan. Fast forward, again, my own self-destructive behavior put me in a marriage that surrounded me with too much alcohol and not enough Jesus. My career aspirations were coming true. I loved being a mom, but I entered into that marriage, which later failed 12 years ago for all the wrong reasons. But I was blessed with a beautiful baby boy, Hunter. Tim mentioned that sometimes we suffer and they're self-inflicted wounds. So as you can hear, that's kind of what was happening to me. Maybe it was lack of prayer. Maybe it was lack of focus on uh, what I should be, should have been focusing on, lack of desire to honor the Lord with my actions. I don't know, but that's where I was. 
all of this led to the loss of my dream, which was to have an intact family. But I still had those beautiful children that I'd poured my life into. They were into dance and baseball. Hunter was the king of Awanas. I did homeschool. My kids went to private school, private Christian school. We even had the all-important country club membership because I was sure that those things would put a positive have a positive environment for my kids. My sister's here today. She'll tell you I ran those kids in the church door every time they were open because I was hoping I was doing all the right things. I was also the mom at every school party, every field trip. I thought all that was important, but when I reflect back now, I realize that at that time I was putting those children above my Lord and Savior, definitely above my spouse at that time. But they were great kids. Megan was involved with church plays. She loved soccer. She was an excellent student. Hunter was in the gifted program at school. He loved baseball. He was being mentored by my great dad at the time, so he had a great role model, even though his dad was not in the home. Why is this all important? It's not. Because alcohol and drug addiction will impact your family or can impact your family, whether it's intact or divorced, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a college graduate or you didn't finish high school. It has no boundaries. My earlier suffering did occur because of my choices. But as you'll hear now, my life changed because of the choices of others. Megan began experimenting with drugs around the age of 14. I didn't know that till many years later. But she graduated from high school with honors and she left for college even in, uh, in the last half of her senior year. And at the same time, I, I learned about some things that Hunter was doing. At 14, he walked across the street uh, from our home at Criswell Park um, with a group of buddies and they had figured out a way to get some alcohol over there. And one of them said he experienced with one beer, Hunter drank to the point he passed out uh, in the, uh, one of the restrooms over there. So his friend said, I, I had one, Hunter didn't seem to know when to stop. When I saw things were spiraling out of control, I did what all moms do, we, we run for help. I went to the local police department, talked to friends of mine. They tried to scare Hunter straight. I moved to schools, but nothing seemed to help. Uh, so Dallas and I made a decision to put Hunter in a program called Teen Challenge. It was designed to help young men turn their life around. He spent 16 months in that program, even graduating from high school there. It seemed like he had a new beginning. Megan transferred colleges and she was in her second semester of her junior year when we got a phone call that she had gotten a DUI. Her alcohol level was so high that the judge made a decision to put her in an inpatient uh, program for three months. Seems, things seemed to be better after that. After she got through with that program, we brought her back home. But then she began to date a young man that um, kind of lured her back into alcohol and drugs. Over the next few years, Megan lived a lifestyle I couldn't endorse. She lived with a man, alcohol and drugs were prolific. Um, and later, she, he left her as that lifestyle would kind of represent, and she moved to Athens. Both of my children were losing their life to addiction, even alternating in intensity over those years. Flashback to Hunter. He is doing great. He's actually had enrolled in ministry school. 
ministry school for two years, but then he thought, maybe I'm not on the right path, so he moved to Columbus State. And it was during that time that I got a letter from DFAX alleging that Hunter was a father. Now, unfortunately, there was another element of suffering, a baby conceived during addiction. So much chaos, and my life was literally spinning out of control. I felt so much shame and guilt because I thought, you guys, everybody would judge me. You're a bad mother. How, how could you be a good mother and have kids that are making these decisions? The scripture, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That scripture haunted me. Satan used it to, to give me so much shame and guilt. But God, he knew that in order for me to grow, in order for me to serve others, I had to let down my guard. I had to put down my pride. My desire to control might be big for me. And I had to let go of my children. Things changed for me the day my wonderful husband, Dallas, shared our junk in a small group. I thought I was going to pass out when he was sharing what was happening because I grew up in a good old Baptist church where you do not share your stuff. You say, I'm doing great. You do not share this kind of stuff. But God used our story over and over again to allow others to see God was right there with us in this storm. Because God's told us in his word, in this world you'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world. Though we became open about our story, our journey with addiction was far from over. Hunter, my beautiful boy, was going from rehab to rehab. I sometimes only knew if he was alive based on the explanation of benefits letter telling me what facility he was at. The counselors would call me from those facilities and they would brag. They'd tell me that Hunter was a leader in that facility. He was, a, he was doing so great. He had, they had so much hope for how well he was doing, only for him to relapse the week he would get out. During this horrible journey, I began to realize that my story did matter and that God would use my experience to help others walking through this same nightmare. With Naranon and the 12, 12 Steps, it helped me, um, assisted me in turning my children over to the only one who could help them, God. No amount of money could cure them, no treatment facilities. I couldn't love them enough to get them out of where they were. None of it could help, only God. I literally, during that time, I, I planned Hunter's funeral over and over in my head. It was the only way I thought I could use this mess for good because I was going to preach the gospel at his funeral. Three years ago at 3 a.m., I got a phone call from Piedmont Hospital. That's the, the organization I work for. Hunter had been taken to Piedmont, Atlanta at a place where I, my insurance covers. No coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. He had been a John Doe for 12 hours on a Narcan drip in Atlanta. Later, we learned, from a friend, we learned that a friend had dropped him off. And that's not a coincidence either, because in that world, a friend would typically step right over you because they don't want responsibility for your death. So it was an amazing thing that he's still alive to tell this story. That night, God revealed to me that it was time to stop enabling him, and I had to let him go. When the nurse asked if I was coming to the hospital, I asked her if Hunter was going to be okay. She said yes. And I said, I want you to tell him that I love him and that I'm, I want the best for him, but I'm not coming, and I hung up. One year later, 
Hunter would speak at an AA meeting, and he got, when he got his one-year chip, and he would affirm that that night was the turning point for him. Mom wasn't going to be there anymore, and she wasn't coming for those disasters. And he began to rely on God to put his addiction into remission. The last three years haven't been rosy. We are raising the baby conceived in addiction. That's Emmett. And that's a challenge when you're 60, may I add. Um, I've watched my son become one incredible man. As I prepared to speak today, I called him because I didn't want to do anything that was going to give him shame and guilt. And I said, if it, if it would bother you, I'll decline. I won't speak. He said, Mom, if it can help one person, tell the story. So if any of you are dealing with a similar journey, know that our God doesn't cause the suffering. He, he didn't put the needle in Hunter's arm or any addict's arm. He created us with free will, and we live in a fallen world full of temptation and evil. He desires for us to grow in our struggles and depend on him. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Our struggles are far from over. Hunter's doing great. He's top salesman in his company. He's involved in Emmett's life, and he desires to be a good dad. I was able to experience two amazing years of going on family vacations and, and having a mom's dream. All my kids under one roof, and everybody was doing great, had some great times. Life seemed perfect. But my daughter, Megan, that you will see up here, she has a chronic illness called chronic pancreatitis. She has a stricture in her pancreas, maybe from birth, that, has give, that gives her very intense pain, and the treatment for that is narcotics. And over time, that, in, that caused her to have to enroll in what Tim talked about, pain management, and over time, more and more narcotics, and now full relapse. My beautiful daughter is now back into the throes of addiction again. And over the past few months, and intensified over the past few weeks, the chaos of addiction has come back to, to try to steal our joy and to threaten our peace. But God, he continues to walk right beside us each and every step of the way. We feel his strength every day when we get up. He teaches us something new and nudges us to use our story to benefit someone else. So maybe you're where I was, ashamed of what was happening, full of guilt because maybe you caused something that made the addiction happen. And the power of trying to be a little G God, that was me. Thinking you can cure your family member. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He showed me how to lean on him when I couldn't stand up anymore. He carried me when I couldn't walk and when I didn't have the strength to stand. God's here. He wants to be there for you. At the end of this, this service this morning and some of the verses, I hope you see the truth that we found joy. We found joy despite our circumstances. We found joy in this church body. We found joy in learning to take off the mask because I wore a big one, a mask that told you I was okay when I was not okay. Joy with our friends. And maybe this will explain that. Um, I got involved in Naranon that I spoke about in one of my initial meetings, this lady said that she was grateful for addiction. 
and I think my head spun around because I was not grateful for addiction. And I didn't even really understand what that meant, grateful for addiction. Having shared this journey with you today, I can tell you I'm grateful for addiction. Well, um, Tim um, called me a couple weeks ago, and uh, he asked me if I would uh, share, share my story, share our story. And my flesh immediately cried out, no. But uh, really the spirit in me said, yes, it's time. And uh, Jamie and I, are, we spoke seven years ago too, and uh, I relied heavily on her to communicate because she really conveys the story well. Um, even the book, even the book that was written um, by her, um, basically it was journalings back in 2001 uh, through our journey with Levi, and uh, it was turned into a, a book by my dad. He self-published it and, and uh, made a lot of copies to just give out to people, um, but she was able to just share that story, and so I spent the last two weeks, uh, you know, I, I normally go on walks at uh, Tribble Mill Park just to clear my mind, talk to the Lord, and for the, every single day I was out there four miles just talking, walking, crying, being wrecked by what my wife wrote. Um, somebody asked me a long time, I was like, haven't you ever read your, your wife's books? Like, no, I've been through it, so I don't really need to. And Well, this is like one of the first, well, the only time I've really read at least half of it. I couldn't really go into the part after December 20th too much. But uh, basically, you know, this, this overview covers nine months in 2001. Um, we, uh, Jamie and I are celebrating 10 years back then, 10 years of marriage, wonderful marriage, a uh, few ups and downs, but, you know, we had four kids. Um, Caleb, nine years old, seven. Uh, Jonah is seven years old. They, they really hung out tight together, and, and Gracie and, and Levi, they, they hung out tight. Uh, Levi was was four, and Gracie was two, my baby girl. Here she is right here, um, and uh, Joan is also here. But uh, uh, we, uh, it was March 23rd. That specific date stands out in my mind because that's the day our, our lives were rocked. Um, and really, a couple weeks before that, we started noticing Levi. Um, his eye was just turning in a little bit, and uh, we just thought he needs to go to the eye doctor. And, well, he went to the eye doctor a couple times, and uh, the doctor said, no, uh, he, he doesn't need glasses. So we just kept, kept that in our back pocket wondering what's going on. So, and Jamie being very in, in tune with our kids because she's a great mother and just even writes letters, has written letters to our kids went from their birth all the way up to, you know, now. Um, but she was in tune and she saw that there was something going on, you know. And so two weeks later, um, we were at uh, Jonah and Caleb practice they were playing baseball rec team and we were on the playground uh watching and levi and gracie were there running around you know playing and they were so close they just connected with each other so well and but i saw levi just stumble a lot he kept stumbling and it really bothered us it was like babe what's going on um and so we, we took that home we, we took that story home to our in our minds put the kids to bed uh but Levi was just running around in circles and, you know, waiting for his turn. And Jamie, Jamie was just crying in the other rooms, like, I know that something's wrong. 
So she called our, our doctor, our pediatrician, Dr. Jan, and uh, told the symptoms, and, and she said, we need to go down to Eggleston. So we got our kids to be watched, and, and, and we went down. And uh, Levi went in the other room. They, they gave him shots. They put the blanket, uh, the sheet over him to just try to, you know, get him quieted for the CAT scan. And just he was just going through a lot of emotional distress, you know, and it was hard for us to, to see that what, what was going on there. But later that night, um, the doctor came out and just stood there and, and said, Mr. and Mrs. Gwynn, your son has a brain tumor. And uh, Jamie and I just looked at each other and we just hugged and cried. Uh, that was March 23rd. The next, uh, the next day we went back, or we actually spent the night there. Other doctors came after an MRI was taken. And uh, basically they said that he had uh, an inoperable brain tumor. So you know, brainstem glioma. And uh, it couldn't be, couldn't be touched and couldn't be removed. And they said, basically, you have uh, four to six months with your son. So that's what we were faced um, during that, that time. But, but we fought, and we fought in prayer. Uh, next step was called Dr. Ben Carson, who was an amazing brain surgeon. We, he had his, our, Levi's MRI and looked at it and basically told us, he's like, if I operate, um, I'm pretty sure he's going to be a vegetable. Um, and I don't feel right about taking a couple extra months away from you. And so next step, you know, we just went uh, to the radiation route uh, it, within the next couple weeks and went four, four doses of radiation um, every day. And Levi was just going through it. He went through hard stuff, emotional, um, just he was defiant. He was just struggling so much. He didn't understand what was going on. And uh, finally, after the fourth radiation treatment, Jamie and I just like, we've got to do something different. This is just doesn't feel right. So we went in the next room, and uh, we just connected. Jamie and I just connected like, you know, not like when you pray, like, Jesus, thank you for our food. Amen. I mean, we just laid it out before the Lord. And we just held hands and just said, dear Lord, we just need an answer what to do. Um, and uh, an idiot-proof sign. Um, show us the way, Lord. We're stuck, desperate. And so that day, two different people came up to us. Long story, but uh, short. But um, two different people just talked about natural alternative methods of uh, treating um, tumors and any other kind of sicknesses. And so we just kind of put that one side over here and, and went forward for the next several months on, on getting ready to do nat natural therapy and, and things, there was some things that were working for the next couple months because the next MRI we got, um, the, the, the tumor shrunk some. So we were just like in June, the beginning of June, just like a change, uh, change is happening. The Lord's healing him and we're, ah, breath of fresh air here. Uh, meanwhile, Loganville, uh, the community of Loganville was gathering around us and, and, uh, you know, raising money for us because it was a lot of money to go this direction in Houston where we were going uh, later on. And uh, so we had so many people at an auction. Uh, another time there was a, there was a concert that was given. Um, Give Kids the World, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation offered to take Levi to Disney World. And so there was some good highs during that summer for us. And, uh, but then, you know, 
when August came around, it was time for the next MRI. And so uh, August 22nd, to be exact, we were hoping, hoping, but we got the uh, report back, the diagnosis, and it said that the uh, tumor was 20 to 30% bigger. And so we were just wrecked by that. And hoping against hope, Lord, we just need your hand. We just need guidance. I mean, we, we struggled with the Lord. We wrestled. We, we sought him for answers because what, what parent doesn't when their kid's going through, through hell like this? And so, you know, and then seeing our kids and how close we were, you know, I, I just, you know, the next thing that happened was in September. Uh, we were in Houston, um, and I was actually flying to meet him on 9-11. It was the very morning that uh, 9-11 tragedy happened, I was about to take off and, and then they deboarded the plane because of all this panic. And so I didn't get to see um, the kids and Jamie uh, the, rest, the rest of the next two weeks. And so we had a beautiful reunion uh, when they came home two weeks later. It just reminded me how precious our family was and how important every moment was to be together. Caleb and Jonah, and I just jumped out from behind the couch when Jamie surprisingly came home with the kids early because the doctor released. And we just all cried and held each other and just wept with just joy for each other, you know. Wasn't it beautiful, babe? Wasn't it beautiful, Joe, Grace? And uh, anyway, uh, during that time, um, Levi matured so much. And uh, I just wanted to read a, a quick story of, of, of that in, in, in Jamie's journalings here. Um, um, oh, the, uh, let's see. Oh, this is this is totally off the subject. But what a sweet story of of Levi's love and understanding of Jesus' love for us. This is in September. One day we were praying, and after we said, Amen, Gracie, our pastor's wife here, um, said, I don't like Jesus. She was two and a half years old. And, and by the way, um, Tim and Barb's oldest son, Benji, is, is married to my daughter, Grace, our youngest, my baby girl here. So I don't like Jesus. And Jamie's said, my heart sank, but I tried to remain calm. I said, why not? She said, I just don't. I, I like the devil. I was trying to understand where she was coming from, realizing that she's only three. But right then, Levi said, Grace, the devil is so bad. He wants to choke you till you die. A bit graphic, I know. And he wants to chase you and scare you. He wants to make it dark and scary for you. But Jesus wants to hug you and scratch your back and, and play puzzles with you and wrestle with you. He loves you, Grace. I didn't have anything to say. Uh, I, I didn't have to say anything. He had said it all. Gracie had a new and profound understanding of Jesus and his sweetness. She said, oh, I do love Jesus, and I don't like the devil. <laughs> I mean, that, that blows me away. But Levi made an impact in all of us. I mean, didn't he, Grace? I mean... Y'all were so close. You spent so much time, you know, hanging out with him during that year because, you know, you were closer to him in age. And you don't remember as much being that young. But I just look at the similarity in, in the age between Arrow, our grandson, and, 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 and Cedar. 
You know, it's literally the exact same age. And so the way that they get along and interact, it's just a, it's a, a reminder of the beauty in that relationship. And so Grace, you know, Grace, um, she missed out on, on her brother being here because what happened um, later on, on November 17th, uh, that's another day I'll, I'll never forget. It wasn't the final day, but um, he literally stopped breathing. He was being given a bath, taking a, a bath with Grace. Um, Jamie was, you know, scrubbing him down, and Levi was thirsty, and so I went and got orange juice, and Jamie said, Jeff, I need you quick, and so I came running back, and he wasn't breathing, and so we carried him, put him on the bed, and I just immediately... I didn't know what to do. He was like, wait, this isn't supposed to happen. I just fell on my face and started crying out to God with all my heart. And Jamie, Jamie called 911. He was like, get, this, get somebody here to help because he's not breathing. And so literally it felt like five or ten minutes they were there. And they intubated him and they, they took care of him and, and, and whisked him off. And uh, I just thank God how quick they, they, they reacted because uh, he literally stopped breathing. Um, so we were in for a journey the next eight days. Uh, we spent eight days at the hospital. Um, I, I believe it was Eggleston. Yeah. And uh, so we stayed there, and uh, Levi was on pretty much life support. Um, and ultimately, by the end of the eight days, we had to make a decision um, whether we were going to, you know, take him off or just keep him on. But it was, it was time to make a decision. So Jamie and I prayed about it again, and the Lord just reminded us, um, you know, if any of you among you are sick, let him, let him have the elders come and pray over him. So another, another time, the importance of prayer. And so we just, okay, Lord, we're going to do this. We're, we're taking a chance. We're, we're going to pull him off life support. And the doctors were very cautious, but they provided a transport for us on the way home and uh, made it home safely. And they, he was in hospice. He was on um, the um, intubation and the, the breathing. And I mean, it just looked awful. I mean, how, how is this happening? You know, people flooded in to pray over him, anointed him with oil and prayed over him. And literally day after day, he didn't die. He was living. He was to the point where the next week he was able to take the intubation tube out. And we were just marveling. Lord, you're about to heal him completely once and for all. You know, we saw this. Um, but over the next three weeks, um, we got extra time with him. That's what, I, that's what I take away from this. We got extra time with Levi. From 33 days, from the day he was supposed to die, we ended up having a lot more quality time with him. Um, he was in a wheelchair. He was, he was really bound up. But he was able to just look at us and, and communicate with his eyes. And just a sweet, precious boy. I wish y'all could have met him. I mean, he would be 27 right now. And he would be here, no doubt about it. But... December 20th came around, and we had to face, face a tragedy because he, he died in our arms. He just stopped breathing. And there was nothing we could do about it. Lord, please raise him from the dead. And so we were, we were just, just beside ourselves. We didn't know what to do. But I had to face the facts, and I had to go tell my sons. And uh, took Caleb and Jonah upstairs. And I said, boys, I just got to tell you, your brother Levi is... He's with the Lord now. He's, he's gone. And Caleb just stood, you know, just sat there, just looked at me, just taking it all in. And, and Jonah just, just emotion just rushed out of him, and he just grabbed me and hugged me. And I'm like, 
Lord, this isn't supposed to happen. This isn't supposed to happen. I'm sorry, boys. God's in control, though. He never fails. He's, he's with us. And so we, we, we dealt with that tragedy. I mean, on top of that, you know, it was Jamie's birthday that he died on. I mean, I don't, there's things we just can't understand um, even now. But, but I, just, I just look at God and I, I mean, we, we, we look at, I mean, we're together. I, you know, I just, I, I mean this with all my heart. I'm just so thankful that we're together. We're still a close family. We, we love God. And we trust God, his promises. I mean, all the promises of God are yes and amen, you know? He didn't promise that he would live, um, but he promised that we have eternal life. And so, I, I mean, I, I spent the next year, literally day after day, in between service calls, I, I felt like I had to rush to the cemetery and just lay there and be with my son. I didn't know how else to be with him, but my father's heart was just missing him. And I would just talk to him. I would talk to the Lord and try to just wrestle. You know, and, and Jamie would just journal, journal her heart, her thoughts, and just trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to do life? How are we going to do life, life now? What, what's your plan, Lord? And so that dramatically changed the course of all of our lives. And uh, I know that uh, this book has been an important tool to uh, help other people realize um, how true and true God is and and uh, how other people can identify with what we've gone through, because we're not the only people that have gone through this. And I just wanted to just close up with a, a beautiful little story that Jamie wrote. When Levi was first diagnosed, he was just a regular four-year-old, at least is how he handled the brain tumor. But as time went by, he changed drastically. The sicker he became, the more incredible he was. The more he suffered, the more he became a man, quote-unquote man. As Levi got sicker, his character started being developed in ways I never could have imagined. He became more and more selfless. He was more loving. He never complained. He cared so much, so, so deeply about people. Good grief, he was five years old. It would have been understandable if he was preoccupied with himself, but he wasn't. What a great guy he was. I really, really, really liked him. The Lord had given us a closeness that was beautiful, heavenly, spiritual. And, and the letter she, she actually wrote to Levi says, Dear Levi, you're gone. You're just not here. This is two months after he died. You're gone. You're just not here. I miss you so bad. We had practically become one in our last days together. I am left in a, se a severed state. Even worse than the physical separation is the emotional separation. We understood each other so well, almost perfectly. I knew and translated every book, every look on your sweet chubby face, every twitch of your eye, and you knew my heart as well. You always knew when I was afraid or sad, but trying to cover it with a smile. I could never fool you. I miss the knowing you. I miss the understanding. I miss communicating without words. I miss the one heart we shared. Now I am left with only half. I love you eternally, Mommy. And I read that, I read that because I just, I value, I value my wife. I, I value her. I, I, I see the pain she's been through, and I just, I just want to acknowledge how beautiful your heart is and what I've, what I've seen in you over the years is that you haven't given up on God. You've pressed in deeper. You haven't given up when, when it's so easy to give up. And I, and I just, I just, even now, you wake up in the mornings early and spend time with the Lord. You are the real deal. 
wife, <laughs> I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for you. So that was our story, and I just uh, I thank God for giving me the opportunity to share because it was the Lord wanted me to do it.